0: This is the Nuance Podcast by Medicine Explained. We're your hosts, Amanda and Dan. We talk to experts on health, the human experience, and the intersection of climate and human health. We explore the nuance that's been lost in today's conversation. These are ideas that aren't touched upon in headline culture and most media outlets. We don't take ads because we want to keep our information unbiased, but we do need your support. So leave us a quick review on
1: Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
0: In today's conversation, we speak with Ms. Anne Rolfez, who began her career in Nigeria, collaborating with local communities to address oil companies' destruction of the Niger Delta. She returned to Louisiana in 2000 and collaborated with women along Cancer Alley to found the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. Anne was born and raised in Lafayette, Louisiana, where many people made their fortunes from the oil industry. She has seen the wealth and the poverty created by oil production and seeks a phase out of fossil fuels in her lifetime. Today, we talked about what the true cost of pollution is. She explains the work of the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. She talks about how oil and gas companies can still get away with polluting. Anne explains what carbon capture is and how it is a false solution. She also talks about how we can transition away from fossil fuels. She explains why this topic is so important for anyone in the world to understand and learn more about. This was a wonderful conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. Now, on to the podcast. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited that we finally connected and made it together. Um, I'm really excited to hear about all of your work and uh, share all of your wisdom with our audience.
1: Well, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on the show. I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Perfect. So I'd love to just start off with an introduction about you. Um, I did some recording of your intro beforehand, and we'll put that at the beginning. But um, can you just introduce yourself to our audience and like what you do and what work you do?
1: All right. So my name is Ann Rolfus. I am the director of an organization based here in New Orleans called the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. And the bucket is an easy-to-use air sampling device, and we work with people who live along, for the most part, Cancer Alley, um, who are dealing with pollution and really, you know, challenging situations with a big company next door.
0: And how did you get involved in this work?
1: Uh, I'm one of those people who had to go across the world to figure out that they needed to do work in their own home. I, I don't think it's an unusual situation, but you know, it, it's definitely one that I experienced. I was in the Peace Corps in West Africa. And through that experience, learned about what was happening in Nigeria with the real, just the decimation. That's a whole other subject, but just the utter decimation of the Niger Delta for oil production. And I began to volunteer and then work on that subject. And and as I was doing that work, I thought, wait, isn't this happening in my own home? Um, And I had some sense that it was, but I grew up in Lafayette, which is you know, town in Louisiana, that is where a lot of the benefits of oil production have gone. And so I never really knew that the the underbelly of the industry, but I, but I knew I had a sense, you know, I don't know how that there was cancer alley and that there were problems. And so I just started to feel like, I think I should go home and do, do this kind of work there. So that's how I got into it.
0: Wow. Um, I actually spent some time in West Africa as well. I spent it in Ghana and I worked at a clinic over there.
1: Okay. You were in Um, Accra?
0: I actually was like 18 hours north of that. I was almost at the border. Especially. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that kind of showed me like why climate change also is so important because they were, I mean, we, we were offering medical advice, but the city was starving because the droughts, like it was supposed to be raising rainy season, but they weren't getting any of their rain. So they couldn't grow any of their crops. So we were kind of lacking in food. And I'm like, well, we're like trying to provide medical help, but we can't do anything about their starvation situation. So it's very much an intersection between human health and planetary health.
1: Yeah. So I was in Togo, probably a hundred miles from where you were, because I was in northern Togo, right near the border of Burkina Faso. So I was not far from you. And I have, you know, so I was in the Peace Corps and lived in a village and you know, I'm still in touch with them. And so, yeah, I see this over time. I mean, there were always difficult periods, but those difficult periods have gotten much worse. And I mean, just as we're talking, I can see the faces of just really emaciated kids that I would pass, yeah. you know, who, yeah, aren't ha- don't have the food, don't have the access uh, because of climate. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I was going to ask this, later on but i think that this lends nicely into your mission statement uh, yeah and it, it has to do with like the true cost of pollution so can you describe to us what is the true cost of pollution
1: that's a, a beautiful question i mean the true cost of pollution if you if you get right down to it it's life and death right it's people's lives in so many ways um from uh increased fatality from COVID right? What we know that there, there have been studies, and this was early on in COVID, that if you lived near a place where there was particulate matter pollution, your chances of dying from COVID were, were much higher than, than if you didn't live in that situation. So there's fatality that way. There, there's also dying early from cancers and from you know re- respiratory problems, from pollution. So that's one part of it. And then on the other part of it is the the climate impacts to you know people who don't even live in this part of the world just based on all the emissions that we're pumping and dumping into the air, and then there is just the really intimate, profound violence that comes from having to live with pollution. You know, if 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 you live in a in a home and half a mile away is a, a, some facility that's that's dumping out sulfur dioxide or or benzene, which is a known carcinogen it has real impacts for for what happens in your own living room on your front porch in your bedroom right i mean it can be that these terrible odors invade your home so that your kids are stopped up all the time right you know they can't breathe or that you know somebody contracts cancer at a very young age it's it's the most it's hard to relate just how intimate it is and maybe this one example it can provide that there i work with this wonderful person woman in St. James Parish and she used to take care of her grandson and then started to discourage her her son from bringing her grandson over because she really feared for his for his life with the exposure from a big steel plant just down the river. And so I mean that's what it boils down to, you know, a grand a, a, a grandmother can't have her little grandson come over cuz she's scared it's going to affect his life and she's not wrong. So it's It is violent, it is intimate violence, and it is premature death.
0: So how are these um, oil and gas companies and petrochemical companies companies allowed to pollute our environment and essentially cause disease and death um, on the fence line communities?
1: Something that can be really confusing is, are these agencies that have names as if they protect people, but in fact they don't. Let's look at some of these agencies, the Department, the Louisiana Department of Environmental Quality. Um, at the federal level, we have the Environmental Protection Agency. Back to the state level, we have the Department, um, what is it, the Department of Health or the Department of Health and Hospitals. All of these agencies are in theory, agencies that should be protecting people, but in fact, they're not at all. So if you go, for example, to the Department of Environmental Quality, their mission statement says we balance protection of the environment with economic interests you know and okay so that's bad enough that it says that but it but at least maybe they might really do that but in fact they don't balance it at all and what that agency really is is a permitting agency so something that's called the louisiana department of environmental quality ought to be called the rubber stamp for giving industry permits for anything it wants to do because you know they'll the industry will come with some of the most far-fetched hazardous plans, Uh, a great example, a great slash terrible example being the Formosa Plastics facility for St. James Parish, they'll come with some of the most horrible plans and bam, approval, right? I mean, Formosa Plastics, for example, would have been one of the largest plastic plants in the world. And there was no rigor in that review, just all right, Great. Here, you know, you want the permit, you've got it. A professor at Tulane described it like drive-through McDonald's, right? Just drive through, get a permit. That easy.
0: I um, subscribe to the LDQ letters, so that's the department that you're talking about, right? And um, trying to see like what permits are being put up, and like weekly, you get emails about how like two or three permits that are trying to go through to expand. Plants or build new ones, which is just wild. I didn't realize how many were being built in Louisiana. And yeah, so it's it, relentless. Yeah. It's rel- you think
1: at some point we you think we're full. That's what the people in St. James were saying from the beginning. We're full. That's just the way they were intuitively talking about it. And it's a mm-hmm. great description.
0: Yeah. And so it's a huge problem in Louisiana, but how do we know if we're living in other parts of the world or other parts of the country if we're exposed to these like air pollutants or chemicals from plants? How could we find that out?
1: Well, one of the, one of the great things that I've learned in doing this work uh, from a woman who's, who uh, died many years ago, her name was Florence Robinson. She was a professor at Southern University, and she really emphasized the power of observation. Um, here in Louisiana, along Cancer Alley, we put a lot of stock in that for, for a couple of reasons. One is because the, the agencies that should be protecting people are so absent or are working feverishly against us that we really need to boost people's understanding that they, in fact, are experts on where they live, right, which is true. You are an expert on where you live. And so people's observations are, are extremely important. For example, the, the woman I was just referencing, the grandmother who doesn't want her grandson to come over, uh, she has been evacuated since Hurricane Ida, and has observed that she doesn't cough nearly as much and that her body doesn't ache because she is not near this polluting plant. It's core Steel. She's not near Core Steel anymore. Now if she wants to go back home. I mean, what, what do you do with that? You want to go back to your home where you live with your husband and your family, but you just realize that you're healthier. Anyway, I am going to answer your question, but back back to the answer. Um, So what people people should do is observe, you know, how do they feel in their own home? How do they feel when they go outside? Do they actually already know that there's some source of pollution a couple of miles away or a half a mile away? Uh, Are they hearing about you know, at at the kind of edges of their awareness? Are they kind of hearing carbon capture facility or are they hearing, you know, new chemical plant? Because those whispers that you might just hear are, you know, sometimes there's really something happening, but you don't have time or uh, the capacity to really look into that. But in fact, you got to pay attention before they, you know, some huge gas plant is put up and you didn't know it.
0: I know that I was talking to, Kimberly Terrell and oh, yeah. Vicki Booth. And I had Vicki Booth on the podcast and she was telling me about the PR campaign in Louisiana and how at first people didn't want the plants to come in and they were doing post and pre surveys on different types of uh, campaigns and interventions to make people more accepting of the petrochemical plants in Louisiana And the one thing that worked was when physicians said that cancer is only caused by lifestyle and not by these plants. And I've talked to a lot of physicians, smoking does cause cancer, but so do these chemical plants. And if you're sitting and living alongside these petrochemical plants, they will be causing cancer and at a higher rate. And it has been also proven by studies But there's so much money and media behind these companies and these PR campaigns that make people not realize how much of an effect that they're having.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's I mean, it's offensive. I've just seen it happen so often where a, a, a black community in particular will be concerned about health or something. And then here here will come some people from the Louisiana Tumor Tumor Registry to say, Oh, yeah, y'all eat too much fried chicken, right they they I mean, I've heard that said many times and and they they want to have all this conversation about everything that you're doing to give yourself cancer. I mean, you pumping gas, you know, you're exposed then. But the one thing they don't want to talk about is the largest smoker in the parish, right? The, the refinery, you know, five hundred feet from people's homes. so it's yeah, it's it's offensive, it's unethical.. Uh, it's not, it's not sound. How can it be sound science to ignore a major contributor, you know, of, of a known carcinogen, for example, or something that, like sulfur dioxide that we know will trigger an asthma attack in asthmatics? Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, chilling, you know, the the length they'll go to, to to win approval.
0: Yeah, and so one of the arguments made for having these plants around is that it it's a source for jobs. Yes. Um, so. And what is the answer? What is Louisiana yeah, of the doing? Yeah. We need to f- shift away from fossil That's fuels, right. but how do we make that transition?
1: Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that, our, that, you know, we're fighting these chemical plants and putting everything we can in their way to prevent their expansion and construction. And I think for a long time, I was waiting to figure out. I was doing that. I felt like, okay, I'm trying to stop this, you know, onslaught hey, can some of you start working on economic diversification, please? You know, while I try, because that's really what I've been focused on all this time. And and finally, I've, after, you know, what, 18 years of waiting, uh, we decided, oh, actually, I guess we got to get busy on that because it's not happening fast enough. And in fact, our elected officials continue. I mean, even now, just to prioritize this very hazardous, dangerous, uh, you know, co- expansion of, of, of industry. I mean, even now our economic development department at the state level is taking these trips to Asia, touting you know, what they call empty places along the Mississippi river, right? As, as places that ought to be built. So we are um, working with other groups to pursue economic, uh, other sources of jobs. I'll just give you a couple of examples. One of our partners is the Descendants Project, a really great group based in St. John Parish in the town of Wallace, led by twin sisters Joy and Joe Banner, who, you know, really are dedicated to economic development in that parish and in, and in the region. And so um, just today actually we went and looked at some space where we might that that we're going to rent and we're going to have it as kind of an incubator space where people, you know, people who do maybe work on their own or who do contract labor, they can come and have shared office space. And, you know, be together and, you know, be a kind of incubator of ideas and just, you know, some things that you see in a big city where like in New Orleans, we have propeller, right? And so, so people can get together and and have office space and think about other things. Um, It's got a big area where we hope to do some sort of workforce development training for things like the film industry. Uh, Joe Banner has really been involved uh, in trying to get the film industry to be more active in the river parishes. Because some of those jobs, you know, if you can get trained to do that work, those are high paying salaries to start off with, right? So that's one example. And then last Friday, I went with Joe Banner and with my colleague, my coworker, whose name is James Hyatt, he's in Lake Charles. Um, and Joe and James and I went to tour the Energy Efficiency and Sustainable Energy Center at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. They call their center easy because sustainable energy is easy. And they have a workforce development uh, program when you go on a tour of their site they have a you know on the ground level but they have a uh, a replica of a commercial roof and then of a residential roof and they're showing people how to in, training people how to install solar panels you know and so joe and i were talking about all right well how do we, we we're talking with terence chambers who is the head of that center all right he he wants everybody to replicate this all right so how do we get one of those in the river parishes right so We're just we're starting with these little threads uh, and, and, you know, going to apply everything we've got to them as a hope that they can be a counterweight to some of this really bad um, expansion.
0: I really appreciate that. And thank you for sharing some of those examples, because I know we can get so bogged down in the climate crisis. Um, We need hope. And a lot of times I feel like we're really onto the defensive, especially in Louisiana. And just having that vision and something that I really appreciate that that's on the front of your Louisiana um, Bucket Brigade website, that you have mission and then vision of the future, because that offers hope.
1: Yeah, and I think, we, I think turning that ship is the only way that we're going to stop all this anyway. I mean, if, for example, my coworker, James, who's in Lake Charles, is charged with uh, trying to stop a dozen a dozen truly uh, export gas terminals, right? The, the industry has this, and our state has a really bad idea to build a dozen along our coast to, to export gas to Asia and to, they claim Europe, but it's not really going there. Um, and so how do you stop that, right? I mean, we're working in our usual campaign mode to stop it, but you know, you, you can't just, yeah, you can't just be in that mode all the time, right? We we're actively seeking other things. Cause, cause that's the true, that's the true work to do, figure something else out. However, you do have to do it at the same time. You have to stop this mess. Oh, yeah. So it's, you know, we did finally come to, we have to pursue both avenues.
0: Yeah. And something that is so wild to me that I was talking to one of my, um, colleagues who's going, who wants to go into medicine, they're pre-med. But his grandfather has always worked in St. James Parish as a physician. And he said that even though some of these industries do offer some jobs, they're really dangerous jobs. Like you have a ton of occupational hazards. So what they do is they pay people super young, very, very high wages. And so then you work your body and then like a lot of people come in with back pain and then are on disability the rest of their life but have been paid a lot in the front end so they try to make it worth it by just paying you a bunch but essentially working you to illness and to disability
1: um yeah excuse me yeah that's my you know that's my experience too And talking with people in the union hall uh in Gonzales, i was talking with some workers and they told me that they know if they want to enjoy retirement if they that they need to retire in their fifties because they're not going to live out. They're not going to get out of their, you know, out of their earlier mid sixties. I mean that that is that's a calculation that people are that people have been forced to make because they've seen no other alternative and they want to be the you know the good man providing for their family. I mean that's a whole other angle that isn't talked about. Who gets these jobs, right? It's men. It is really an industry that has not provided equal opportunity for people, and so that's yet another. Uh, you know, just another, I think, um, opportunity and, and hopeful component of what we're doing is that, you know, we want to employ everybody. This isn't a, you know, no women need apply sort of situation. Um, and you know, nor are you going to need to retire in your fifties because you know, you're not going to live past 63. I mean, that, that's just, that's, that's no kind of, 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 of life. Right. Uh, And yet our state has fallen for that. So, again, it's exciting to be uh, here in this moment where other things are possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I love the hope and the different direction and and the vision. Um, And I know that you've testified in Congress. What policies do we need to change? Like, what did you testify in Congress for and what impact do you think that that has on the greater scheme of things?
1: I was pretty cynical about testifying before Congress because, uh, you know, they you sit there, you talk and then everybody folds up their notebook and goes home and they kind of pay lip service. And then when the real things are, are ready to be legislated, they don't stand up for them. So I can be extremely cynical about it. Um, however, I felt it was important to go. And, and so I went and I testified uh, uh, regarding the BP oil disaster, uh, the impacts and then uh, one was on the impacts and then one was on their use of this dispersant after, uh, you know, th- what they did is they sprayed the oil with something called dispersant, which sank it to the bottom of the ocean. So you couldn't see it. It was like hiding the evidence is, is what the, my Sweeping it under the rug. Exactly sweeping, exactly, sweeping it under the rug. And, and so, uh, you know, I mean, I think did it didn't make a difference. I don't, well, actually a reporter did some really great work. I had I pulled some of her work into my testimony. Alana Shore is her name. I think she now writes for Politico, but, but she doesn't do environmental reporting anymore. But I pulled some of her reporting into my testimony and we did see the company issue a statement the next day. It changed some, some things that they were doing with cleanup workers. So that that was impactful. Obviously, I'm just remembering all this as I talk. Um, but but I'll tell you, you know, you talk about opportunity. There is a lot of opportunity in in this state, and I think in state houses across the country, for people to create legislative shops, including writing legislation and lobbying for the good guy, right? Because there are enormous interests uh, at our state capital and around the country as well. You know, the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, yikes, right? Uh, there's something called Lamp here, which is essentially a group that is a, is a lobbying outfits uh, run by Formosa Plastics. Uh, there is this issues management firm that I find on the other side of every battle we have. They're called Harris, DeVille and Associates. I call them, DeVille is devil with an L-E. Um, and they are, you know, they are hardcore in that capital all the time. And so we really need counterweights and we need people who are interested in that subject to go and to be there and to do good work. And, you know, I, yeah, that you could have a whole podcast on that, but that is a real need. You have people doing it on specific subjects, but we don't have enough of us there. Uh, Groups like Together Louisiana, the Power Coalition are doing wonderful work. I think Louisiana Progress is doing great work. Uh, We need more of us. And that's a, that's a whole area where people could make a career.
0: Yeah. And that's something that we'll touch on a little bit later is like, how can people be involved and have some kind of impact, but something that you were saying about being cynical about testifying. I mean, that's part of the reason why I think that a lot of people feel like sometimes that their arguments and like being in politics is an uphill battle because it is so skewed to this, like what you were saying, the sides that are against your fights and so it seems so difficult. And like, for me, sometimes I am very cynical about, the, about politics as well, but I know that policy needs to be changed. So we do need more people in there, but uh, it needs to be a little bit more inspiring.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and what I've found every, on every single project that I've taken on, it, it, it works. When you set a goal, you commit your time to it and your devotion and you have other people working with you. I mean, we, we succeed, right? We do win we win. It, it just takes more people having some of these, these goals. I mean, for example, our governor you know, put together this climate task force. One of, the rec- one of the recommendations is going to be to make Louisiana a hub of carbon capture and storage, right? A, a, a so-called technology to keep pumping emissions, but just stick them under the ground, if you can imagine. I mean, we need a whole army of people you know, fighting fighting to stop that and to say, no, not that, how about a solar arrays? How about wind power, you know? Um, You know, that's just an example of of one tiny subject matter. And there are so many other examples. And I, I think, you know, for anybody who is willing to work hard and be a little bit creative and jump on every opportunity, there's so much good that can be done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, the more and more I get into this space too in Louisiana, I'm just like so optimistic about people power because there are so many awesome groups working on different things. Um, And so that's, that's something that's really inspiring to me because you can get really dragged down by all the realities of climate change and the fossil fuel industry, but there are a lot of people fighting for, for good.
1: There are. And I I try to make a practice and you're reminding me that I need to start to do this again, to at least once a month go to hear somebody, uh, you know, that that maybe I work with a bit, but I don't know too much about their work, or I don't know the details, and to go to one of their events, or to go to a panel that they have, or something, because, you know, these people, even the ones that I work with every day, you know, I see a scintilla of what Mm -hmm. they're working on, or what their thought process is to get to what they're working on, and the more you understand you know, their philosophy or their strategy. It, it is, as you say, it's very encouraging and, and powerful.
0: Yeah. And actually, do you mind touching on carbon capture for a second? Because I know you mentioned it and it's something that's been in the media a lot. And a lot of companies say, well, we'll just uh, offset it by doing carbon capture. So what does that exactly mean? And does it work? I had a Christmas party and
1: I'm going to get to your question, answer your question. You can see, I go take a little trip before I answer your question. (laughs) So I had a, I had a Christmas party and it was great. You know, it was in this, it was, I would like to say it was before the Omicron wave. So it felt safe. And uh, it it was just so wonderful. I had a lot of people at our house and I had a friend who's a great scientist. She works at Xavier. And she said, what is the deal with carbon capture? I I don't know, is it good or not? And I was shocked that she didn't know it was a bad thing. And she said really clearly, she said, "You know, the bucket brigade needs to put something out about what we should think about this. And I kind of thought that people already knew, but, but that was really helpful for me that they didn't know. So we put together a very short newsletter and this was the title, The Devil Can't Cool Hell. And the subtext there is, the people who got us into this mess are not gonna be the ones who get us out of it. And, and all that carbon capture is, is a cynical ploy by the oil industry to continue business as usual. It is a false so-called solution. It doesn't solve anything. It is a fairy tale to pretend that you can continue to pump and have emissions that you will then put in the ground. I mean. Just think about that logically. There's so many problems with that logically. Where's the dirt going to go? Won't it destabilize things? I mean, we're already finding out that the process of fracking causes earthquakes in places that never had earthquakes before. So, you know, it it is a it is a just a complete ploy by the same industry that created an industry saying climate change wasn't real.
0: For our listeners who feel passionately about the subject, but I think can feel overwhelmed by how many different problems there are going on with climate change or the fossil fuel industry, um, where should people get started?
1: I think, you, to me, you get started by getting to work. Uh, and depending on people's time, in availability, I mean, I, I think that volunteering is a really great thing to do for people who have that. I mean, that, that also can be a privilege to be able to volunteer and to have that kind of time. Um, but that's how I got into this, uh, was as a volunteer. I mean, really any job I've ever had, I, I got because I started to volunteer. So if that's, a, if that's a possibility for people, I would say to volunteer with an organization that you that isn't near you, that you could help in some way. As you say, sometimes a daunting situation can become less daunting if you get a bit closer to it and understand some of the some of the people, and and ideas that are that are being waged to, to better the situation. So there's that. I think to volunteer, um, you know, for me, it's important to fit to be solution oriented. So even when I'm fighting something, I'm trying to be solution oriented while we fight it. Uh, so I. I think that, you know, that really does come naturally to me to be optimistic about intractable situations. And I I realize that not everybody is, is that way, but I, I think if people can just try to be, um, I mean, the truth of the matter is this all may be a lost cause, right? We don't know, right? I mean, we're probably already degrees past where we ought to be, and we're all going to sink under it. But for me, the human, you know, that sort of spirit is that you, you, You've got to do something. And I mean, in times when I've been doing doing something and I wonder, is this gonna, is this gonna create anything? I think about it like a mandala that a Buddhist monk makes, right? They the first time I ever saw a, a, a monk make a mandala, you know, they have that colored sand and they they painstakingly put it in particular patterns. And I learned, I think I was probably 19, and I, I learned that they were gonna then just blow it all away after that. And I couldn't believe it. And I was really upset. And I was, I I had a reaction to it in the way that you're reacting too much. So something must be there. And I've actually really come to embrace that whole thing, that the process of doing this is extremely important. It's as important as the outcome. And so the connections with other people we make, the unintended positive consequences are success stories that we didn't know we had when we set a goal to begin with. So once again, I've given you this kind of roundabout, non-answer to your question, but it is just start doing something, okay? So, so you can't volunteer, you know? Maybe, you know, maybe you work hourly and you can't. Of course, that's not even a possibility for you. Um, well, you know, you listen to podcasts when you walk to work. You educate yourself. You talk to other people. You get, you know, you you figure out who to vote for and get other people to vote for that person too. You just try to, you know, action is eloquence, right? That's a, I think that's from Shakespeare. Action is eloquence
0: to do something. I love that answer. Um, there's a TED Talk um, specifically about like how much impact you can have if you just talk to one person a day about climate change. Oh, interesting. yeah, interesting. It's, it's amazing. Someone had listened to a TED Talk and he was like, do you want to see the list of people I talked to about climate change? And he had written down a list. And in just his own town, and they had like a new legislation about climate change and everything just because he like once a day had talked to someone about climate change and how important it was. Wow, wow, that's amazing. So something that I wanted to shift to is the power of grassroots organizing. Ever since joining some of these local groups in Louisiana, uh, I've been Inspired by the resiliency of some of these communities who um, have been polluted by these industries, yet they still fight for a better future. And it's pretty amazing to see uh, these small groups and frontline communities up against these giant corporations with um, so much money and PR influence. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, We don't want our resilience to be used against us. You know, oh, you're resilient. So we can dump so much on you. Yes. The other thing is that the industry is powerful, but they're also bloated and lazy, right? I mean, you know, when you have all this money and you just have to call one good old boy to get what you want, you lose your edge, right? And so we move a lot faster. I believe we're smarter. And uh, it's, I take a lot of pleasure in being a joyful, happy warrior uh, for good because they're wrong. They're wrong. And uh, you know, I just think we we there is a there is a an economy here that is based on renewables where people are working for the film industry or um, you know in medical marijuana or something that isn't going to cost them their lives to have work. That's I mean that doesn't even sound that aspirational. <laughs> you know, that's no. just is really common sense. There's, there's a survey in an article written by uh, somebody for Gris. I think his first name is Adam. I can send you the link if you share resources with people. And he linked to a survey of oil and gas workers. And I think something like 55% of them said that you know, they would love to be uh, shifted over to, the, to, to win, something that has similar skills. So, I mean, there's that. But then also, I don't want to be condescending and say to, to oil and gas workers, oh, you know, you just need to be retrained because, I mean, what if somebody said that to you? So, so I actually, you know, take a step back. There is a lot of work for, for that sector to do, repairing and taking care of what we already have, right? We should hire more people, more oil and gas workers to, to maintain pipes, to fix, you know, oil rigs that are spewing into our Gulf of Mexico. And so, you know, we can employ or people. Well, yes, yes, you know, for the next decade doing that work um yeah yeah, there's there's so many possibilities
0: i i completely agree and something that we actually haven't touched upon because we've talked to mr daryl malik wiley and um also vicky booth and what we didn't talk about exactly where like you had said the bp spill where pretty much if you have an oil pipeline or if you have a factory there will probably be a spill or a leak or something and that also has to be maintained but something that have to we have to keep in our minds about like what kind of health impact that this plant or this pipeline has for our communities.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, look, if you, if people Google Louisiana Department of Natural Resources pipelines, you'll get this map, although they may have scrubbed it, but I think you can find a map online of, of all the pipelines in Louisiana. And there are thousands of miles of pipelines. We, we, we can safely say we do not need any more. There are plenty. To get anything where it needs to go, we're done, right? Of course, they still keep hatching plans to build more because there's a there's clearly money to be made in the construction. Yeah, that's a that's a really messed up uh, part of this whole economy. Just me- building the stuff yeah. is what's you know somebody's profiting off of, but we don't really need any more of it.
0: Yeah, and I th- I mean we've touched upon a lot of misconceptions because there's a huge PR campaign by fossil fuel industries about like BP is now beyond petroleum and, and yeah. such. I know. Um, but what what is like one main misconception that people have about fossil fuels? Like if you wish you could tell the general public anything about
1: it. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Let me think about this. Um, well, uh, I think this is it. I, I, uh, this is going to sound so um, so, so precise. Uh, that gas is somehow safe and good and, and is a transition fuel. People try to, you know, they call it natural gas as if, okay, yeah, it is natural. You know, cyanide is also natural, right? Poisons are natural. It doesn't mean that it's good for the planet to go get this gas out of the ground and then ship it all over the country and all over the world. So even your gas stove at home, I mean, I'm guilty of liking my gas stove, but you know, every time we turn on that stove, it, it emits something. You know, and I think there's movement to these induction, uh, or no, it's not. A, that's an induction. A, I, don't, I don't. Is it an induction heating, which is yeah, yeah, it has the same has properties. It. Yeah, I don't know it at all, but I feel like oh, I think I should really get one of those because I think it has the same properties of gas, and then, but you, but it but it doesn't have the impacts, and and so you know, g- gas is is no kind of of savior here. Uh, We shouldn't be exploring. No, we should not be looking for any more gas. We should not be exporting it. We should not be fracking for it. It is not clean. It is not good. It explodes. People die. I mean, it is. There's nothing good about gas and we want to get to electric powered by renewables, right? That's where we want to go. Um, And yes, of course, there are some challenges with renewables, definitely, but we keep moving and we solve those challenges.
0: I know that we talked a little bit about how the population of Louisiana is affected by Cancer Alley and by these petrochemical plants and oil and gas industry. But why is this topic, I mean, you kind of talked about it, but why is this topic so relevant to the rest of the world?
1: You could think about Louisiana as a perfect place to put oil refineries and chemical plants, because it could just be down there. No problem. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to breathe it. It's not our problem. However, Formosa Plastics, the largest proposed new source of greenhouse gases in the entire country at 13 million uh, tons a year, that has ramifications for the whole planet. When way down here in Louisiana, we continue to permit, we continue to encourage, we continue to make all sorts of horrible emissions possible. It is not, unfortunately, just a Louisiana problem.
0: Yeah. And... That's something that I just want to touch on before we before we end is that in medical school, we don't think of things as systems and everything is connected. And we have to know that the when we touch a lover somewhere, it's gonna have an impact in the other part of the world. And especially with climate change on these big impact scales. And it's the same with the body, like the mind is connected to the gut, which is connected yes. to everything else. And we can't just think of things in isolation. Everything will come back, and it's all interconnected to the planet's health and our health.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, and it. Uh, I mean, I think that's why for your listeners to do things wherever they are, right? You know, try to get engaged where you are, or make a difference where you are, because you know maybe it can prevent you know that you know twenty five pounds of plastic from getting shipped over, you know, to someone who doesn't need it dumped on them.
0: Yeah. And so um, we only have a couple minutes left, but the last question that we ask all of our guests is to finish the following sentence. The future is blank.
1: The future is ours to make.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Anne. I really appreciate all the work that you do. And then also for coming on this podcast and explaining to us a little bit more about the fossil fuel industry and all the great work that the Louisiana Bucket Brigade is doing.
1: Well, no, I appreciate you. I mean, you obviously have an extremely busy schedule and yet you're making time to think about systems in the planet. So, you know, I'm I I thank you and I'm very interested to see where your work goes from here because you're already doing great things. Thank you. Thanks. And keep that in. Don't edit that out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How did you know? I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of course, you know, yeah, keep that in. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Future is Healthy podcast. If you loved what you heard, subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think someone you know can benefit from any of the info we talked about, share this with friends and family and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We don't rely on paid ads so that you can trust we have no conflict of interest in any of the information we provide or talk about in this podcast. If you support what we're doing, you can help us to continue putting out content by clicking the link to support the Future is Healthy podcast. This podcast is for general education purposes only. It is not a substitute for treatment, diagnoses, or professional medical advice. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or other qualified professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information from this podcast and any of the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. If you are seeking advice for any medical condition, it is important to seek the assistance from a qualified, trained, and licensed medical practitioner.